Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Here's a recent review we loved. The subject line is consistent, dependable, effective, and it says, The selected readings work wonders, never too intriguing to keep me awake. The voices are even-toned and relaxing. I'm lulled to sleep within minutes. If you have any trouble falling asleep, definitely try this. Thank you to the listener who wrote that review. We're so happy to lull you to sleep. This episode is brought to you by The Blue Floor of the Sky. Tonight, we'll read a myth about a love triangle between a couple of mortals and the ancient Greek god Apollo. It is taken from a book of myths written by Jean Lang and published in 1914. The favorite son of Zeus who was king of gods, Apollo had direct access to the mind of his father and was willing to reveal this knowledge to humans. A divinity beyond human comprehension, he appears both as a beneficial and a wrathful god. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. 
my day, while the sun god Apollo drove his chariot in the high heavens and turned the blue-green Aegean Sea into the semblance of a blazing shield of brass, Idas and Marpessa sat together in the tree's soft shades or walked in shadowy valleys where violets and wild parsley grew and where Apollo rarely deigned to come. At eventide, when, in royal splendor of purple and crimson and gold, Apollo sought his rest in the western sky, Idas and Marpissa wandered by the seashore, watching the little wavelets softly kissing the pebbles on the beach, or climbed to the mountainside from whence they could see the first glimpse of Diana's silver crescent and the twinkling lights of the Pleiades breaking through the blue canopy of the sky. While Apollo sought in heaven and on earth the best means to gratify his imperial whims, Idas, for whom all joys had come to mean but one, sought ever to be by the side of Marpeza. Shadowy valley, murmuring sea, lonely mountainside, or garden where grew the purple amaranth and where roses of pink and amber-yellow and deepest crimson dropped their radiant petals on the snowy marble paths. All were the same to Idas, paradise for him, where Marpeza by his side, without her dreary desert. More beautiful than any flower that grew in the garden was Marpeza. No music that Apollo's lute could make was as sweet in the ears of Idas as her dear voice. Its music was ever new to him, a melody to make his heart more quickly throb. New, too, ever was her beauty. For him, it was always the first time that they met, always the same fresh ravishment to look in her eyes. And when to Idas came the knowledge that Marpeza gave him love for love, he had indeed one happiness so great as to draw upon him the envy of the gods. The course of true love never did run smooth, and, like many and many another father since his day, Evanos, the father of Marpeza, was bitterly opposed to a match where the bridegroom was rich only in youth, in health, and in love. 
his beautiful daughter naturally seemed to him worthy of something much more high. Thus it was an unhappy day for Marpeza when, as she sat alone by the fountain which dripped slowly down on the marble basin and dreamed of her lover, Idas, Apollo himself, led by Caprice, noiselessly walked through the rose bushes, whose warm petals dropped at his feet as he passed, and beheld a maiden more fair than the fairest flower that grew. The hum of bees, the drip, drip of the fountain, these lulled her mind and heart and soothed her daydreams. And Marpeza's red lips curved like the bow of Eros, smiled as she thought of Idas, the man she loved. Silently, Apollo watched her. This queen of all the roses, was not fit to be the bride of a mortal man. Marpezzo must be his. To Evanos, Apollo quickly imparted his desire. He was not used to having his imperial wishes denied, nor was Evanos anxious to do so. Here, indeed, was a match for his daughter, no insignificant mortal, but the radiant sun god himself. And to Marpeza, he told what Apollo wished. And Marpeza shyly looked at her reflection in the pool of the fountain and wondered if she were indeed beautiful enough to win the love of a god. Am I in truth so wondrous fair? She asked her father. Fair enough to be a match with Apollo himself, proudly answered Evanos. And joyously, Marpeza replied, Ah, oh, then I am happy indeed. I would be beautiful for my Idas's sake. But there was to be no more pleasant dallying with Idas in the shadowy wood, or by the seashore. In the rose garden, Apollo took his place and charmed Marpeza's ears with his music, while her eyes could not but be charmed by his beauty. The god had no doubts or fears. Only a little time he would give her, for a very little only would he wait. And then undoubtedly, this mortal maiden would be his. Her heart conquered, as assuredly, as the rays from his chariot conquered the roses, whose warm crimson petals they strewed at his feet. Yet, as Marpeza looked and listened, her thoughts were often far away, and always her heart was with Idas. 
When Apollo played most exquisitely to her, it seemed that he put her love for Idas into music. When he spoke to her of his love, she thought, Thus and thus did Idas speak. And a sudden memory of the human lad's halting words brought to her heart a little gush of tenderness and made her eyes sparkle so that Apollo gladly thought, Soon she will be mine. And all this while, Idas schemed and plotted and planned a way in which he could save his dear one from her obdurate father and from the passion of a god. He went to Neptune, told his tale, and begged him to lend him a winged chariot in which he could fly away with Marpeza. Neptune good-naturedly consented, and when Idas flew up from the seashore one day, like a great bird that the tempests have blown inland, Marpeza joyously sprang up beside her lover, and swiftly they took flight for a land where in peace they might live and love together. No sooner did Evanos realize that his daughter was gone than, in furious anger against her and her lover, he gave chase. One has watched a hawk in pursuit of a pigeon or a bird of the moors and seen it, a little dark speck at first, gradually growing larger and more large until at length it dominated and conquered its prey, swooping down from above like an arrow from a bow. So, at first it seemed that Evanos must conquer Idas and Marpeza in the winged chariot of Neptune's lending. But onwards, Idas drove the chariot ever faster and faster. Until, before the eyes of Marpeza, the trees of the forest grew into blurs of blue and brown, and the streams and rivers as they flew past them were streaks of silver. Not until he had reached the river did the angry father own that his pursuit had been in vain. Over the swift-flowing stream flew the chariot, driven by Idas, but Evanus knew that his horses, flecked with white foam, pumping each breath from hearts that were strained to breaking point, no longer could go on with the chase. The passage of that deep stream would destroy them, the fierce water would sweep the wearied beast down in its impelling current, and he with them, 
Evanos, with a great cry, leaped into the river. Over his head closed the eddies of the peat-brown water. Onwards, triumphantly, drove Idas, but soon he knew that a greater than Evanos had entered in the chase and that the jealous sun god's chariot was in pursuit of the winged car of Neptune. Quickly, it gained on him. Soon it would have swept down on him, a hawk indeed this time, striking surely. But even as Apollo saw the white face of Marpeza and knew that he was the victor, a mighty thunderbolt that made the mountain shake and rolled its echoes through the lonely fastnesses of a thousand hills was sent to earth by Jupiter. While the echoes still re-echoed, there came from Olympus the voice of Zeus himself. Let her decide, he said. Apollo, like a white flame blown backward by the wind, withheld his hands that would have seized from Idas the woman who was his heart's desire. And then he spoke, and while his burning gaze was fixed upon her and his face in beautiful fury was more perfect than any exquisite picture of her dreams, his voice was as the voice of the sea as it calls to the shore in the moonlit hours as the bird that sings in the darkness of a tropic night to its longing mate. Marpeza, he cried, Marpeza, wilt thou not come to me? No woe nor trouble, never any pain can touch me. Yet woe indeed was mine, when first I saw thy fairest face, for even now dost thou hasten to sorrow, to darkness. Thou art but mortal, thy beauty is short-lived. Thy love for mortal man shall quickly fade and die. Come to me, Marpeza, and my kisses on your lips shall make thee immortal. Together, we shall bring the sunbeams to a cold, dark land. Together, shall we coax the spring flowers from the still, dead earth. Together, we shall bring to men the golden harvest and deck the trees of autumn in our liveries of red and gold. I love thee, Marpeza. Not as mere mortal loves do I love thee. 
Come to me, Marpeza, my love, my desire. When his voice was silent, it seemed as if the very earth itself, with all its thousand echoes, still breathed his words. Marpeza, my love, my desire. Abashed before the gods' entreaties stood Idas, and the heart of Marpeza was torn as she heard the burning words of the beautiful Apollo still ringing through her head, and saw her mortal lover, silent, white-lipped, gazing first at the god, and then into her own pale face. At length, he spoke. After such argument, what can I plead? Or what pale promise make? Yet since it is on woman to pity rather than to aspire, a little I will speak. I love thee then, not only for thy body packed with sweet of all this world, that cup of brimming June, that jar of violet wine set in the air, that palest rose sweet in the night of life, nor for that stirring bosom all besieged by drowsing lovers, or thy perilous hair, nor for that face that might indeed provoke invasion of old cities. No, nor all thy freshness stealing on me like strange sleep. Nor for this only do I love thee, but because infinity upon thee broods, and thou art full of whispers and of shadows. Thou meanest what the sea has striven to say so long, and yearned up the cliffs to tell. Thou art what all the winds have uttered not, what the still night suggesteth to the heart. Thy voice is like to music heard ere birth, some spirit lute touched on the spirit's sea. Thy face remembered is from other worlds. It has been died for, though I know not when. It has been sung of, though I know not where. It has the strangeness of the luring west and of sad sea horizons beside thee. I am aware of other times and lands, of birth far back, of lives in many stars. O beauty lone and like a candle clear in this dark country of the world, thou art my woe, my early light, my music dying. Then Idas, 
humility that comes from perfect love drooped low his head and was silent. In silence, for a minute, stood the three, a god, a man, and a woman. And from on high, the watching stars looked down and marveled. And Diana stayed for a moment, the course of her silver car to watch, as she thought the triumph of her own invincible brother. From man to God past the eyes of Marpeza, and back from God to man. And the stars forgot to twinkle, and Diana's silver-maned horses pawed the blue floor of the sky. Impatient at the firm hand of the mistress on the reins that checked their eager course. Marpeza spoke at last in low words that seemed to come remembered from other worlds. For all the joys he offered her, she thanked Apollo. What grander fate for mortal woman than to rule the sunbeams, to bring bliss to the earth and to the sons of men? What more could mortal woman crave than the gift of immortality shared with one whose power ruled the vast universe and who still had stooped to lay the red roses of his passionate love at her little human feet. And yet, and yet, in that sorrow-free existence that he promised, might there not still be something a-wanting to one who had once known tears. Yet I, being human, human sorrow miss. Then were he indeed to give her the gift of immortal life. What value were life to one whose beauty had withered as the leaves in autumn, whose heart was tired and dead. What uglier fate than this, to endure an endless existence in which no life was, yoked to one whose youth was immortal, whose beauty was everlasting. Then did she turn to Idas, who stood as one who awaits the judgment of the judge in whose hands lies the power of meeting out life or death. Thus she spoke. But if I live with Idas, 
then we too, on the low earth, shall prosper, hand in hand, in odors of the open field, and live in peaceful noises of the farm, and watch the pastoral fields burned by the setting sun. And he shall give me passionate children, not some radiant God that will despise me quite, but clambering limbs and little hearts that err. So shall we live, and though the first sweet sting of love be past, the sweet that almost venom is, though youth with tender and extravagant delight, the first and secret kiss by twilight hedge, the insane farewell repeated o'er and o'er, pass off, there shall succeed a faithful peace, beautiful friendship tried by sun and wind, durable from the daily dust of life, The sun god frowned as her words fell from her lips. Even now, as she looked at him, he held out his arms. Surely she only played with this poor mortal youth. To him she must come, this rose who could own no lesser god than the sun god himself. But Marpeza spoke on. And thou beautiful God, in that far time, when in thy setting sweet thou gazest down on his gray head, wilt thou remember then that once I pleased thee, that I once was young? So did her voice cease, and on the earth fell sudden darkness. For to Apollo had come the shame of love rejected, and there were those who said that to the earth that night there came no sunset, only the sullen darkness that told of the flight of an angry god. Yet, later, the silver moonbeams of Diana seemed to greet the dark earth with a smile, and, in the winged car of Neptune, Idas and Marpeza sped on, greater than the gods in a perfect harmony of human love that feared not time, nor pain, nor death himself.